0: Welcome to The Money Answer Show with host Jordan Goodman. Whether you are starting out, deep into your retirement, or somewhere in between, The Money Answer Show has the know-how to help you. Now here's your host, Jordan Goodman.
1: Welcome to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Susan Laubach. She's a PhD, author of nine books about personal financial education, and her latest one is called Stiltskin's Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. Welcome to The Money Answer Show, Susan. Thank you please tell us just a brief you've got a long and interesting history but just brief give us a brief uh, a version of your history
2: okay Uh, Well, I'll try to be brief. Um, I started out in theater, and uh, I then um, migrated into the investment business because uh, I had children that were at some point going to go to college, I hoped, and I was not, um, equity doesn't pay you enough to put five kids through college. So I moved into the the investment business, this was way back um, in the late 70s, and uh, I was there very, very happily uh, as a, a stockbroker, as um, a manager and trainer of brokers, um, a retail broker, and an institutional broker. I left to finish my uh, graduate work and uh, got my Ph.D., and my Master's and Ph.D. at uh, University of Virginia. I have also had a kind of parallel experience. Uh, Life in uh, both educating because I've taught this subject for so many years, and in uh, the theater um, when I, w- I started in theater when I was ten, so that goes way back. <laughs> but I'm still work. I'm still a playwright, and uh, and uh, also um, until very recently, I was a portfolio evaluator for people who were interested in evaluating the efficacy of their stock portfolios. Um, yes, I have written nine books, but only the last two were investment books. Uh, so, um, I let me see, does that bring us up to date?
1: I have five children. In which that brings us up before. to date? Indeed. Yeah. So, before we get into the details of the Rumpelstiltskin book, just kind of talk about the, the general state of personal finance and investing education in this country. Are we pretty well Educated, we need to do a lot more. Kind of give us a sense of uh, the state of education these days.
2: Well, in my opinion, humble that it is, I would have to say that. It's not in good shape. Uh, Many years ago, uh, economic education, including investing, was uh, mandated for public schools. I don't know. This was in the late 50s, I think. I learned about this when I was serving on the um, Securities Industry Association's Economic Education Committee. Well, it is so rarely taught in high schools, and uh, so kids get out of college, they get their new jobs, they don't really know how to go about sensibly investing and are often caught up in um, fads and in the idea that you can get rich quick. Um, all kinds of things are liable to uh, put them on the wrong path. I also find that uh, many older people have not really... Uh, wanted to learn a whole lot about the the ins and outs of investing because, frankly, as my sister says, (laughs) it gives her a headache. So (laughs) she doesn't want to learn anymore. Uh, And that has led a lot of people to uh, allow other people to invest for them and make mistakes or they themselves don't understand what they own. In other words, that's a long answer to your short question I do not think that the state of personal investing in general, is a big generalization, but in general is not in good
1: shape. So what are the implications of that if uh, a lot of people are not educated about investing? We've had one of the greatest bull markets in history right in front of us for the last 12 years or so. Have a lot of people missed out on that because they're not educated about investing? What are the implications of not having enough financial literacy?
2: Well, I think one of the big educations is that people aren't ready for retirement when it comes time for them to retire um, and you can tell that from the research that points out to how a few dollars have been set aside by uh, these uh, um by the more recent generations, and they haven't uh, many people i should say have uh, not taken advantage of the ability in this country to invest. That's not to trade. That's not to play the market. That means invest. And um, once one did that 12 years ago, they're very happy right now. But oftentimes I think people say, well, it's so high now. My gosh, the market is so high. It's just too late for me. It's never too late.
1: So you uh, chose the fairy tale as a kind of way of getting them the message across. So before we get into the content of it, just tell us why you picked the Rumpelstiltskin fairy tale as a way to kind of educate people about financial affairs.
2: Well, I've done a lot of teaching over the years, and I've taught um, younger people, I've taught middle people, I've taught elderly, and a lot of people because they do sort of um, build a wall between their wanting to learn this and learning this. Uh, the, I, I believe that it's, it, it was easier for me, for example. I believe it's easier for people to remember things and to understand things in the stock market if they're attached to stories, and stories make it pleasanter. I think it's I think it's pleasant to learn just about anything via a story, uh, but certainly the. Um, These quasi-rules that I have put together came together because I found so many people needed this kind of uh, confidence-building, say, pre-investment information. And uh, the way in which to cement it in somebody's mind, in my opinion, is through a story. And hopefully the stories are, uh, you know, funny, or they will um, bring a smile to their lips while they're uh, learning. I and know. why
1: do you specifically pick Rumpelstiltskin? Of all the fairy tales out there, why did you specifically pick that one?
2: <laughs> oh, that use? was random. <laughs> you know, I sort of liked uh, the last Story, which is his story, and um, it, it, that kind of just led me into the others. Uh, the stories were brought about because they can be manipulated to tell the rule, to to you know put forth the rule that uh, I've um, felt people should know. So uh, I, I didn't have any specific reason. I suppose if I had been more sensible, I would have picked a name that was. Easier to type up when I have to keep retyping the name, but uh, it's. In fact, I, I have the characters in the book start calling him Rump, so that we didn't have to type it over and over again. But um, no, to answer your question, it was it was random. I didn't, you know, except for the fact that his story does uh, sort of lend itself to the final rule.
1: So you begin with how a public company is born from a cottage in the woods to the next Marriott Corporation. Just just briefly tell people what people need to learn about companies going public.
2: Yes, well, now that is a pre-rule. I wanted to sort of lay the groundwork for people so that they understand that not all companies are investable. Uh, The only companies that you can invest in are those that are uh, sold in the public markets. So... um, The the idea that a company you should you should know how a company goes public is so that you will understand that it isn't every single business in the world that you can invest in over the stock market, and that's why I wanted to lay the groundwork uh, by talking about uh, by telling this story of the three bears and Goldilocks and how she um, has this terrific idea of turning uh, their lovely little home into a B&B, and then uh, it grows into a chain of B&Bs, and then they're large enough that she wants to get her money out as a venture capitalist, and so they go public. Uh, At that point, going public means that the public can now invest in this wonderful idea. So uh, that's why I, I start out with that.
1: Let's just talk for a moment about the IPO market. We've had a huge number of IPOs this year, and the new device are these SPACs, these special purpose acquisition companies, which go public as an empty vessel and then go buy something to put in it. Do you think that's a good thing for people to be investing in the SPACs? I,
2: not, I would say that wouldn't be the first thing that a, uh, a neophyte should invest in, no, because, uh, as you point out, they're empty vessels. And uh, tremendous trust in the management to find the things to put into those vessels is required. And I think a certain amount of um, sophistication and understanding the structure of the spec is required. And why start at that end? I mean, let's just, you know, start with something simple. Um, If a person is just starting out in the stock market, that's kind of a heavy way to go, I think.
1: So, how about other kinds of IPOs? I mean, there's been a lot of companies going public recently, of names that are people are familiar with. I mean, today, BuzzFeed is going public, for example, uh, or we've had Airbnb. We've had all kinds of kind of brand names that people are familiar with. Is that a better way to go to get into IPOs? It's difficult
2: sometimes to get into the IPO. When I was in the uh, investment business, it was hard for me to get. Great lots of um, of the offering and often as soon as something flashy comes you know public uh, the price will shoot up but because the people who couldn't get in on the offering are now buying it now sometimes the price dips and you know people lose money on it but uh, the problem with the IPO which has a flashy name I'll pick Airbnb. Um, uh, is that so many people want to be part of that? That in the early days, it's it's possible that that price could be pushed beyond uh, beyond reason, and I think that that is where uh, pricing um, becomes important, um, and and not allowing yourself to pay too much for a security if you don't understand its growth. Pattern, its growth rate uh, in uh, earnings. If you don't understand that, then I don't think you should just take a flyer, so to speak, unless you want to buy at, well, 100 shares or 10 shares or something like that, just so you can say you own it. I'm not opposed to that, but that's not usually what the beginning investor does.
1: Very good. We're going to take a break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show, my guest this hour is Susan Laubach. She is the author of many books, but her most recent one is called Rumpelstiltskin's Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. We're going to go through all those rules in some detail. You can find out more about her and her books at her website, susanlaubach.com, spelled L-A-U-B-A-C-H.com. We'll be back after this. CharityVest provides a modern, tax-deductible, charitable giving account Called a donor-advised fund to everyone. You can make donations of cash, stock, or even cryptocurrency to your CharityVest account. Then you can invest your account balance, allowing it to grow tax-free. You can send funds to over 1.4 million charities whenever you're ready. CharityVest makes powerful, tax-smart philanthropy simple for all. You'll get one upfront tax receipt from CharityVest. No matter how many charities you support, or when you choose to support them. You can put money aside, receive the tax advantages today, and then grow your assets while you figure out what charities you want to support. You can give anonymously if you want to. Charity Vest adds an element of purpose to your life to have a place to put your charitable money. You can be intentional about giving without any of the disadvantages of giving money away. When you have a stock or cryptocurrency investment that has gone up significantly in value, you'll pay capital gains taxes on the increase in the value when you sell it. But if you hold an asset for more than one year, you can avoid those capital gains taxes altogether by donating the position directly to charity. You also can take an income tax deduction for the market value of the position when you donate it. Think of it like a double-edged double whammy in tax advantages. You eliminate capital gains taxes while earning an income tax deduction. Traditionally, giving stock or crypto has been complicated and cumbersome, but CharityVest makes it easy. Simply create an account and tell them through the app how much you want to donate. They walk you through the details, doing all the hard work for you. Once you make your donation, the cash value is added to your fund, and you can reinvest it to grow tax-free or send it to a charity anytime. Donor-advised funds have traditionally been provided by big financial services firms, but they haven't leveraged technology to make giving accounts accessible while charging low fees. CharityVest provides a premier, first-class, tech-enabled experience at the lowest fees available. You can open an account and support charities for free. You are only charged any fees when you invest the money in your account. Charities receive 100% of your donations, and they aren't required to give you a receipt since they've already received a tax deduction receipt from CharityVest. I've used CharityVest, the web app, and it really makes it easy to sign up and donate to charities. I also like the tax advantages of eliminating capital gains on appreciated assets while earning tax deductions. So go to CharityVest.org slash Money Answers to sign up now for a free CharityVest account. If you sign up now, there'll be no fees charged in 2022. Go to charityvest.org slash moneyanswers to find out more.
0: Nobody likes the guy who says, I told you so. The guy in 1991 who said to you, invest in the internet, it's going to be huge. Or the guy in 1997 who said, come on, this is going to be big. They call it social media. And the guy in 2009 who said, I'm telling you, man, crypto is real. Now, I'm not going to be that guy who says, I told you so. But I am telling you that there is a 21-year-old international company where you can become a global project partner, earning a passive income doing exactly what you're doing at this moment. No selling, no recruiting clients, no administering a business after hours. Visit www.mypassiveincome.life now. That's mypassiveincome.life. Don't let history repeat itself on this one. Earn a passive income. Now listen again. That's MyPassiveIncome.life.
3: Have you had a chance to check out Voice America's online magazine and blog?
1: Welcome back to the Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Susan Lawback. She is the author of the book called *Rumpelstiltskin's Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow*. You can find out more at her website, SusanLawback.com, uh, spelled L-A-U-B-A-C-H. Welcome back to the show, Susan. Thank you. So let's get right into the rules here. Uh, rule right. number one is from Tom the Turtle. And he's saying to get started, keep going. Slow but steady wins the race. Uh, that is not the way most people think about investing, particularly today with cryptocurrencies and uh, Robinhood and you know, very fast, high-frequency trading. W- why do you think it's better to be a, like a turtle when you're investing?
2: Well, that's how you invest. I mean, if you're a trader uh, or you're um, intent upon um, getting rich quick, or as I say in here, that gets you poor quick, uh, to, to go into the things you just mentioned really takes um, a good bit of sophistication, in my opinion, if you want to do it well and be successful. Uh, so my belief is that there is so much noise about these um, new concepts, that people sort of forget that the basics of investing means putting your money into something and letting it grow over time, not putting it in, taking it out, putting it in, taking it out. That, (laughs) Frankly, I don't believe that works any better today than it did 5 or 10 or 15 years ago. Uh, uh, Trading costs money, even if it's not very much, and you frequently lose uh, traction, and um, it's, it's not my uh, advice to do that. My advice would be to do more like in the story, Tom the turtle wins the race over the hare because he just kept plodding along. And uh, he won. And in the long run, if you look at the great fortunes that have been made by people just like you and me over the years, people who have gotten rich from the stock market over the years, your daddy, your granddaddy, and his granddaddy, uh, it's really because they invested in good, solid companies which had good, solid growth in earnings per share year after year.
1: Yeah. So let's specifically talk about cryptocurrencies, which has kind of really taken the, the world by storm. not just America. People are putting billions of dollars into cryptos, not only the main ones like Ethereum and Bitcoin, but all the smaller so-called altcoins, thinking this is really going to work out very well. What, what kind of warning would you give them about putting a huge amount of time and effort into cryptocurrencies?
2: I wonder what's behind the currency i wonder what they are buying that's real and i don't know (laughs) i can't say that i've ever done it and the best way to learn about how to invest in anything is to do it so i've never done it and so i don't have the experience of uh well seeing it soar in value obviously um so I can't really advise anybody on that score except to say that to me it's flashy with not much behind it I don't know I could very well be wrong but there's no Fort Knox behind cryptocurrency that I'm aware of
1: so your next rule is the three pigs and it's always ask what could go wrong so why okay. is that a good way to invest uh, always asking what could go wrong
2: oh my goodness well <laughs> Someone who bought crypto, who's selling you cryptocurrency. What could go wrong? Uh, the, I mean, you should always know what can go wrong. Um, it, it, in uh, you mentioned Airbnb, what can go wrong? And most brokers. I'm, I'm, I don't want to be too generalizing here, too much of a generalist here, but I would have to say that it isn't the first thing that comes to mind when a stockbroker is talking to you about wanting you to invest in such and such a company. Uh, it, it Most often, it's what is expected to go right, and that's exciting, and you may buy the sizzle, and that's just fine, but you've got to find out what can go wrong because you can be stunned by um, the fact that this company was ripe for something to go wrong. (laughs) I'm not talking about Airbnb because I don't make any specific um, stock, either recommendations or not. I can't do it, as you well know, because of regulation. But it's such an important rule. That I put it right after getting started and keeping going, just you know, uh, startle your stockbroker by saying, "Yes, that's a fabulous idea. I love it." Now tell me what can go wrong.
1: So if something can right, always uh, go. I mean, Susan, something can always go wrong with everything. I mean, if you take that to extremes, you'd never invest in anything because something can always, always go wrong. Doesn't right?
2: Mean that you're not going to invest in it. It just means that you know. What can go wrong? For example, uh, will, uh, is it heavily dependent upon interest rates going up? Is it uh, heavily dependent upon low inflation? Uh, is it heavily dependent upon government regulation? Uh, if you know those things, you're prepared. When that goes wrong, you're prepared. And you say, okay, I knew that was going to happen. Now I know that this is a great company, and I know that if the stock will be hit, but I probably will buy more because it's a solid company, and I foresee that they are going to make it through this particular issue. But if you're not ready for that, you could, um, well, it would make you a very unhappy investor if you weren't ready for what could go wrong. It doesn't mean you're not supposed to... Invest in those things. You know something's going to go wrong, so stay away from it. No, that 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 as you say is far too extreme.
1: So you know it, but you don't necessarily be dissuaded by it. But you see Oops. what could go wrong, and is that likely to happen in the current economic environment? Is that what you're saying?
2: Yes, and you can say to yourself, "Whoa, that's most unlikely under this particular you know economic uh, situation." So. Um, but knowing it in the back of your head, that's, that's good
1: uh, ammunition. So, so let's take some dramatic examples of things going wrong. Uh, for example, with Enron, which was 20 years ago, when you yes. saw that, did you expect something like that, that could happen with a company that became, at its peak, about the sixth biggest company in the world? Did you think something could go wrong with something like that?
2: Yes, uh, and... At the time, and I can't pull it up in my mind right away, at the time we had plenty of warning um, about Enron, about the situation there. And if I had, you know, the newspaper in front of me, I could go through what it was. But, yes, there there are almost always warning signs when it comes to an industry, a, a company, a management uh so it's, it's not something that um, is too so far-fetched, is something that's so far-fetched that you would never know it until it happened.
1: And the same thing like with Bear Stearns and Lehman Brothers in 2008. You saw that coming as well?
2: Well, now that's, uh, that's a tough question because, uh, no, I didn't, and I don't know if certainly Lehman Brothers didn't see it happening, uh, but the capital ratios... And some of those things were out of whack. I don't want to go into a great deal of detail, but just to say that those were warning signs. I saw them years ago, and I was absolutely flabbergasted that, uh, that the regulatory uh, bodies hadn't noticed these things. And I'm certainly not alone. There were a lot of people in our business who noticed those things. But, you know,
1: they so, okay. marched so- on. Those are from the past. So what do you see today that other people are not seeing that you think could blow up and and go very wrong, that people are investing in now?
2: I don't think that's an easy question to answer. Uh, What do I see today? Well, this is a time of – it's an unsettling time because of China, because of COVID, uh, because of the uh, political environment – it's so unsettling that um, I, I, still, I still go back to looking at high-quality companies with solid earnings growing every year. And uh, so what could blow up? Well, any one of the things that I just mentioned to you. You know, China could get very aggressive, and um, other parts of the world could... Um, Uh, create havoc and and require our – I mean, uh, look at Ukraine right now. Uh, I guess what I'm saying, Jordan, is that the worldwide situation at this point is so tenuous, is so um, unnerving that we could – why the market has kept going up (laughs) is – is surprising to a lot of people, except that you have seen the the earnings coming in. Yeah. When you see the earnings reports at the end of you know, like earnings reporting uh, season, uh, and a company doesn't report good earnings or earnings that the analysts were expecting, you see that mar- that stock go down. Yeah. So not okay. all companies have enjoyed the kind of growth that we've seen in the overall stock market in the
1: overall Dow Jones, let's say, or S&P. Uh Very good. we we have to take a break. We have to take another break. This is Jordan Goodman of the Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Susan Laubeck. She is the author of the book Rumpelstiltskin's Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. You can find out more at her website which is susanlawback.com. We'll be back after this. All around the world, tech companies are innovating and driving returns for investors. Our crowd analyzes companies across the global private market, selecting those with the greatest growth potential, then bring them to you. From personalized medicine to cybersecurity to robotics, quantum computing, and more, in state-of-the-art labs, startup garages, and anywhere in between, our crowd is identifying innovators so you can invest them when growth potential is the greatest early. Our crowd's accredited investors have already invested over $1 billion in in growing tech companies, and many of their members have benefited from the 46 IPOs or sale exits of their investments. Now you can truly diversify your portfolio by investing early in innovative private market companies at R crowd. Join the fastest growing venture capital investment community out there at ourcrowd.com answers. That's O-U-R-C-R-O-W.com answers.
3: or someone you love have a life insurance policy that's no longer needed or not affordable? Did you know that you can sell your policy for cash? Your reason for buying life insurance has probably changed. Thousands of Americans turn to life insurance settlements to help sell their policies. They act as your representative, getting the highest market offer for you. You've got nothing to lose by simply inquiring. If you're over 64 with $100,000 or more of life insurance, you may already qualify. Call 877-485-6681 to get your free non-binding appraisal or visit FundingLife.com. Life Insurance Settlements. Discover the true value of your life insurance. 877-485-6681 jordan goodman is an affiliate he recognizes quality solutions forming relationships to help improve the lives of his listeners tune in to the voice america variety channel on the voice america talk radio network voice america variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community
0: You've been listening to The Money Answer Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answer Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Susan Lawbeck. She is the author of several books, including Rumpelstiltskin's Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. You can find out more about her and her work at Susan Lawbeck. .com. Welcome back to the show, Susan. Thank you. So we're going through Rump's rules here. Rule number three is sometimes investors should be loaners, not owners. So when does it make sense to be a, a lender and not an equity owner?
2: Well, uh, if, if, if you have to have your money back... At a certain time in the future, and you don't want to uh, subject it to the risk of the stock market, then it was probably wise to buy bonds. It is wise to buy bonds, high-quality bonds, because you want to make sure you get paid back. That's now you are a
1: loaner. When you well, are, how a bond about today? Buy. Today, with interest rates, I mean, long-term ten-year treasuries are one and a half percent. or you know, you're getting a very low yield for tying up your money for a long time. Do you think that makes sense for people to put a lot of money into bonds at today's rates?
2: Not long-term, no. And um, if you, if you uh, look at, say, A-rated, I don't know what the yields are, frankly, but A-rated uh, government agency bonds, they've always had a higher yield, uh, and uh, they also um, have never defaulted. Uh, so there are There's a wide spectrum of the kinds of bonds that you can buy, and the point being that that's what you do when you have to have the money back. And when you have to have it back, you will accept the lower interest rate if you have to have it back. There's really no other way to make sure you have it back. You don't want to put it in the bank, I wouldn't think.
1: Yeah. Okay, so that's uh, bonds. Now, the next uh, rule is the emperor's new robe, which is always understand how a company makes its money. Do you, you think a lot yes. of people are investing in things that they don't really understand how the company is profitable? Yes.
2: Um, I've seen it in many of the students that I've taught. Uh, people who um, have, say, experienced something. Uh, I had a, a lady who said she had traveled south and she stopped in all these restaurants on the way that were part of a chain all the way south. They were to- completely crowded all the time. She was sure that was a great business. It turned out that that particular chain's uh, restaurant business was not what was making the money. In fact, it was costing the money. Um, they were making their money in another area, so it, you need to know if your interest in the stock uh, via a particular uh, company, you know, um, uh, product is actually the product that is is making money for the company. Uh, the way you can find that out is by looking it up in Value Line, actually by um, looking it up online, uh, and um, I just think it would be foolish for someone to buy a company for a particular product when it might turn out that that product is not only losing the money but they may be selling it off next year so it's just it's a good idea to know that
1: do you think it's better to have to invest in a company that is focused on a particular area or a conglomerate that has many different things i mean think recently of general electric which had many different things. It's now breaking up, breaking up into all of its different pieces. Is it better just right. focus on a company in one place in the first place, or diversified?
2: Well, that's what Peter Lynch called that diversification when a company uh, had so many different parts to it. Um, and and GE is a perfect example. I mean, I used to love GE. What a great parking place that was. Good yield, you know, uh, one of the last AAA-rated companies on the exchange. Um, but they found that some of their areas, quite obviously, were losing money, were not did not have the future that the GE management felt they should have. Uh, so... Your question is a good one, but it can't be answered with a yes or no, because it, I have to say it depends. Uh, if it's a, a one product company, it may not be large enough. Um, it may not have the, um, uh, the market share. Uh, it may not have the visibility. It, it depends upon the company. But it's usually if you get into a company that has so many moving parts, just, you know, kind of make sure that you like all those moving parts. Uh, If you are a person who's interested in green investing, for example you should look up all you should look your company up and see how well they do in that uh, environmental um uh conscience uh, with that environmental conscience and and it's much easier to find that out nowadays or if you're a person who uh, you, uh, does not want to invest in say liquor uh or um well smoking you know is easy to find out but if you if you look at your company and you see what kinds of products they have just make sure they match your own value system
1: yeah your next rule is never pay too much for a stock beware irrational exuberance never confuse confuse brains with a bull market do you think that's what's going on today people are paying too much and they're confusing brains with <laughs> a bull market
2: Lots of irrational exuberance going around. Uh, yeah, I do. Now, this is a little more complicated, this figuring out the price. Um, and uh, if you, do you want me to go through the peg yes. ratio, or is that just a little too? No, it's okay.
1: Too, That's good. Let's um, do the peg ratio. That's fine. Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. Uh, the peg ratio is a short way of saying uh, that the price should be equal to or less than the growth rate in earnings per share. And that means that if the price is $10, let's say, and the gross rate is 10%, and the earnings per share this year, or anticipated for next year is a much better way to do it, is $1, quite easily we can see that the price at $10 is the equivalent of the earnings times growth, 10 so that's ideal. that almost never happens anymore. Almost never happens anymore. but it can keep, help you keep your head if you see how far away it is from its price being equal, equal or less than its growth rate in earnings per share. Uh, if you um, look at value line once again i I, I highly recommend Value Line. I, I just really can't say enough for it. And by the way, the aforementioned Peter Lynch was the same way. Uh, he said everybody should throw away their research analysts and just buy a subscription to Value Line. They're that highly thought of. But Value Line gives you all this information. They tell you what the anticipated earnings growth is, and they also tell you if the company has Always sold at a premium multiple, meaning uh, more than its price divided by its earnings. That's what a PE is. I'm sure your, I'm sure your listeners know that already. But yes. you know, sometimes you don't. Uh, so they, there is a line that tells you what kind of PE they have enjoyed. This company has enjoyed in the last many years, and you can see if they have always enjoyed a premium, meaning a higher. Uh, multiple uh, than their earnings growth, then that signals to you that that's a higher quality company and that that company earns that premium multiple, and therefore, that might be a very sensible purchase a very sensible uh, way to sort of say I'm not going to go for that uh, pri- that peg ratio at this point because I can see that in the past they've always earned a premium multiple. And so does that make sense?
1: Yes. Now that goes into your next rule, which is don't expect more from your investment portfolio than is reasonable. Manage your expectations. How does one know what is reasonable? I mean, today, with the market having gone up pretty much 12 years straight, that might have been unreasonable to expect that, but that, in fact, is what's happened. How do you make reasonable decisions in the investment market?
2: Well, um, you're talking about hindsight. Who knew that that would be what would happen? And that certainly isn't what happened to everybody's portfolio. Uh, that um, is not something that you should look forward to. Um, and I'm I'm uh, suggesting uh, that um, uh, that, in fact... Now, this, this sounds really sort of pathetic to your, <laughs> to your listeners and really boring and really uh, too conservative. But you know, Jordan, if you were to get between 5% to 7% after tax every single year, you would be a rich person. You know that. Uh, you don't have to get the 26% one year and have it go down 26% the next year. You don't have to deal with that kind of uh, uh, flashy uh, up and down. If you can realize that your portfolio has done for you, and certainly with inflation being lower than that, I don't know how much longer that's going to last, but if you can beat inflation by several points every single year after tax, you're going to be rich.
1: Yeah. Great. We're going to take another break. Uh, this is Jordan Goodman of The Money Answer Show. My guest this hour is Susan Lawback. She's done several books. Her most recent one is called Rumpelstiltskin's Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. We've gone through most of the rules. You can find out more at her website, Susanlawback.com, spelled L-A-U-B-A-C-H. We'll be back after this.
3: From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
4: You've been listening to The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman. If you have a
0: question for Jordan or his guest, please call us now at 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Now back to Jordan.
1: Welcome back to The Money Answers Show. This is Jordan Goodman, your host. My guest this hour is Susan Laubach. She's the author of a book called Rumpelstiltskin's Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. You can find out more at her website, SusanLawback.com. Welcome back to the show, Susan. Thank you. We've been through all the rules. Now, there's an addendum rule, which is what you call the uh, four seasons rule, invest for all seasons. Describe briefly uh, how that works.
2: Yes. Well, I, uh, many years ago, uh, decided that the economic climates very closely... Um, mirror the climates of a year. Uh, for example, the springtime climate in the year uh, is when uh, you know little plants can grow. It's um, warm during the day, cool at night, and uh, 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 the springtime part of your portfolio uh, should hold growth stocks. Um, moving on to summer, uh, that's when things are blooming and booming in many parts of the world, and growth stocks plus. International stocks uh, are good to have in that part of your portfolio so that you can take advantage of different growth patterns in um, in various countries. Um, the autumn, I fear we are in autumn uh, as we are. It's um, very uncertain, very changeable time in the uh, economic climate. And in order for you to be... Um, uh, in order for you to invest for that part of your portfolio. I think it's wise to have some income-producing stocks that cover this transitional season, Uh, stocks that pay good dividends but still will grow a little. I like convertible preferred stocks. I like convertible bonds. I like well-managed real estate investment trusts. Now, we're coming into the winter uh, part of our um year and that's when you know we stay inside we keep our heads down etc uh, that's when the ho- climate itself is hostile to growth and for that time I think we should have um, fixed income high quality bonds uh, like uh, highly rated corporate bonds um, or as I mentioned earlier uh, government agencies that are also uh, well rated um, and the, the the old saying is, "Don't put more than your age in the cold uh, weather investments." Um, that really is. I think a lot of people think it's uh, you know it's wise to put so much money into fixed income, even when you're an older person. But I don't. I think you need to be uh, gu- you need to guard against all of these climates or be able so just to, to be
1: advantage. clear the the Four Seasons portfolio is to have something in all four areas. You're not saying that you should hibernate during the winter and be aggressive no, no, during no, no, the no, summer.
2: No, no, <laughs> no. No, no. What I'm saying is this portfolio contains pieces from each one of these uh, investment types.
1: Yes, okay. What do you think is the difference between trading and investing? And and should most people be, learn about trading? A lot of people are getting into day trading and all that. What is the... A pro, pros and cons of trading versus investing. Well,
2: uh, traders are playing the market. I don't play the market. I invest in the market. You invest when you commit. And when you commit, you don't trade. So it's night and day, really. Um, trading is not investing. And uh, investing is not trading. Um, yeah. So uh, that would be my answer to that.
1: What is... The pros and cons of exchange-traded funds, ETFs versus mutual funds. Why would you buy one or the other?
2: I love ETFs. I've been an ETF since Barclay put up the first one, which was many, many years ago. Uh, ETFs are, in my opinion, they are so much better because you can buy them in real time. You don't have to wait until the close of the market to get the price. Uh, they are not managed. You are buying a basket of securities that cover an in- industry of your choice. Actually, there are so many ETFs now. They cover, uh, you know, the um, the various markets uh, or uh, various industries. Um, you can buy an ETF for whatever your interest is in this great world of investing mutual funds have always done that job for us in the past but they can be costly they need to be uh generally managed and they need to be bought at the end of the day when the market price might have gone way up or might have if it was (laughs) happy circumstance gone down but uh so you ask the, which is better? It's hard to say which is better because I've had some very good luck with some mutual funds over the many years I have been in them. But for, for my uh, in my opinion, uh, the investor uh, who is trying to fill out the, portf- the four-season portfolio or to get started in investing or wanting to uh, commit to a particular industry, I say go ETFs.
1: So for parents who want their kids to be financially well-educated, in addition to reading them Rumpelstiltskin's rules, (laughs) what would you recommend that parents do to get their kids financially educated if they're not getting it in schools?
2: Well, I know what I have done, what I've done for my kids and grandkids, is that um, I, first of all, I bought them 10 shares of a stock of a company that they knew the product. They knew the main product of that company. And so they... Would feel as if they they did own I say you're an owner of that company now you like the product and now you own it isn 't that wonderful and over the years, you find that the child then uh, pays a whole lot more attention to when you know the annual report comes out uh, or whether there's any kind of news on the listen to the business channels um, it, that's a really good way, I think, to get them. Uh, they're not going to get rich on that. I'll tell you, uh, it is possible to get rich if you buy a very small $500 into an, uh, a very, very good quality mutual fund and just let it lay there. Just let it sit. Uh, and over the years, you know, just uh, watch it occasionally, but that, that doesn't engage the kid's interest is the problem. Um, if you want to engage the kid's interest Find out what they are really interested in, what, uh, what toy, what game, what um, sport, what whatever. And uh, then, you know, buy them the security that follows that particular interest.
1: So beyond that, beyond thing. buying securities and getting them mutual funds, other areas, credit card debt and so on, what kind of advice do you have for parents wanting to educate their kids so that they don't run into financial trouble?
2: Well, I was very conservative with my kids and uh so they didn't have their own credit cards until they grew up and were working and could get their own on their own. So, I don't really have good advice on that. That isn't my area of expertise. Uh I just um I think that it's amazing how many kids have so, you know, so much freedom uh and with a lot of money, and with those children, I, or young people, I would strongly invest that they open an account and they uh, start buying uh, securities on their own. Uh, I think, you know, there are some provisos there with their opening an account as a young person. Uh, but that's the only answer I can give you for that.
1: What well, what would you do so that the kids are not spoiled if you give them too much too early?
2: Well, don't do it. <laughs> that's, you know. I, well, why would you do that if you didn't you know if you wanted them not to be spoiled? Uh, I think always making a budget for uh, a kid making his own budget and uh, telling uh, saying what is it you want to buy with your money and um, what's important to you to have in the future? do you want to put money aside and uh, go to college with it or do you want to take a, a fancy trip you know when you get out of high school um, you can help by saving the money now. And uh, that's the kind of advice I would give, and certainly budgeting. Whatever money the kid gets from an allowance or from a job um, or doing chores around the house, whatever money the kid gets, it's really helpful to sit down and ask them how they want to budget that money. Get them thinking along those lines. Thinking like, you know, I've got so much money now I can put this much into, you know, getting a Coke. I can put this much into ice cream or whatever. And um, just get them thinking along those conservative saving uh, methods.
1: Very good. Well, thanks so much. We've learned a lot. My guest this hour has been Susan Lawback. She is the author of a new book called Rumpelstiltskin's Rules for Making Your Farthings Grow. We went through all of her different rules. Uh, good for both you and for your kids. You can find out more about her and her work at her website, Susanlawback.com, spelled L-A-U-B-A-C-H. Uh, thanks so much, Susan, for being a great guest on The Money Answer Show.
2: Well, thank you, Jordan. I really appreciated it.
1: Very good. Well, thanks so much, and we'll be back next week with another edition of The Money Answer Show. Goodbye for now.